Good morning, and welcome to a time of reflection and a chance to practice thinking differently, to mindfully survey the world we are living in, but at the same time to imagine the world in which we would like to live. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge in the Headwater Hills in Southern Ontario. And like everyone else in the world, we are making our way through the worldwide COVID-19 pandemic as best we can. Uncertainty is often seen as challenging, and certainly it is not an easy place to reside. But when there is a disruption in our usual routines, the assumptions upon which all our thinking and activities are based is laid bare. Those assumptions are the hidden underpinnings of our worldview and guide us in the choosing of partners, the way we vote, the way we spend our money, the way we raise our families, the way we die. All the activities of our lives are based on what we assume to be true and what we hold to be valuable. In times of uncertainty, when it becomes so clear that we don't have all the answers, it gives us a chance, as German writer and critical thinker Rainier Maria Rilke would instruct, to live into the questions. In this marvelous book, Letters to a Young Poet, Rilke writes, I want to beg you to be patient toward all that is unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked doors and like books that are written in a foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them the point is to live everything, live the questions now, and perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And I suppose that is what we are trying to do when we gather together in Sabbath time, to explore the world of thought and spirituality as we live the questions. One of my children will often loudly declare, with much laughter, this is a judgment-free zone. And that is also what this is, a temporal place to lay aside preconceived ideas and walk freely into that open field where judgment does not constrain our thoughts. We begin our time of reflection with a very traditional Christian hymn, with its very traditional view of God in the anthropomorphic figure of the Father. It was written in 1923 within the patriarchal worldview, the world of Father Knows Best, and the traditional viewing of God as male. Of course, God can be male no more than female, because God is not a created creature. But like so many things that are beyond our reach with words, wisdom, love, mystery, we paint pictures around them so that we may hold them for comfort and explore their nuances. Is this idolatry? 
It is if the icon we hold before us replaces what it represents, or if we see our icon as truth and force it upon others. But if we hold our icon with love and affection and see it like a photo of someone beloved while acknowledging that the photo is not the beloved, then we may relax with it. As the world moves into a new time of spiritual awakening, we may notice where idolatries lie and where they may seem to lie but do not. And we can play this thought experiment concerning the lyrics in our Christian hymns. I have sung the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, so many, many times, as a prayer of gratitude, as a place of grounding, just my little voice bringing me comfort. And though I know the newer lyrics read, O oh God, my Creator, you may sing, O oh God, my Mother, O oh God, my Birther, O oh God, my Beloved. God is not determined by our dress-up clothes. And therefore, we are free to allow everyone their own comfort. And for me, in this particular song, God is my Father. And I know that not for all, but for many, this is a comforting image. Open your heart to all the possibilities of the divine that are offered to you. It matters not what construct we have created around the impossibility that is God. It only matters that we know that impossibility is faithful beyond anything humanly known. faithfulness oh God my father there is no shadow of turning with thee thou changes not thy compassion it fails not as thou hast been thou forever will be Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above join with all nature in manifest witness to thy great faithfulness mercy 
pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten thousand beside great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies i see Our call to worship comes from the lyrics written by Canadian poet Leonard Cohen. Cohen grew up steeped in the Jewish faith, but in the tradition of the best of spiritual explorers, he deepened the faith of his birth by discovering the wisdom within it that nurtured all people of all faith traditions. His poems and his music, stretching over six decades, are firmly placed within the biblical landscape, which is where he claimed to be most comfortable. A devoted Jewish man who kept the Sabbath tradition even when touring, he was also an ordained Buddhist monk. As the Zen tradition does not affirm a deity, it can comfortably walk hand in hand with the Jewish and Christian traditions. Here, Cohen calls for healing in body, mind, and spirit. gather up the brokenness and bring it to me now. The fragrance of those promises you never dared to vow. The splinters that you carry, the cross you left behind, come healing of the body, come healing of the mind. And let the heavens hear it, the penitential hymn, come healing of the spirit, come healing of the limb. Behold the gates of mercy in arbitrary space, and none of us deserving the cruelty or the grace. O solitude of longing where love has been confined, come healing of the body, come healing of the mind. O see the darkness yielding, that tore the light apart. Come healing of the reason, 
come healing of the heart. O troubled dust concealing an undivided love, the heart beneath is teaching to the broken heart above. Let the heavens falter, let the earth proclaim, come healing of the altar, come healing of the name. O longing of the branches to lift the little bud, O longing of the arteries to purify the blood, and let the heavens hear it, the penitential hymn, come healing of the spirit, come healing of the limb. O let the heavens hear it, the penitential hymn, come healing of the spirit, come healing of the limb. The spiritual life is one of practice. Just like musicians and athletes include daily exercises in their lives in order that they can go out and play and sing and run and play sports, so those called to consider deeper matters need to have practices that prepare them for their daily work. With so much focus on the internationally shifting world news these days, I was drawn to the practice of praying the news. I found it on the marvelous site Spirituality and Practice, curated by Frederick and Marianne Brussat. It is a foundational resource for all of us and one of the most useful tools in my own spiritual toolkit. Here, Frederick and Mary speak to us about this wonderful, timely practice. Everything that one turns in the direction of God is prayer, said Ignatius of Loyola, founder of the Society of Jesus. Richard Foster, a Quaker who has written wisely on different kinds of prayer, calls one type praying the ordinary. It is seeing God in the ordinary experiences of life. We will keep these broad definitions in mind as we read the news for people, situations, and events that call for prayers, but most of the prayers offered here will be intercessory prayers. We will be asking for God's help and healing presence in our world. We will pray especially for those parts of the creation in crisis that they may experience our compassion and know God's love. We hope that by praying the news in this way, we will also expand both our spirituality and our practice. It is, as Jane Venard writes in Praying for Friends and Enemies, true compassion brings us into solidarity with all of God's people. Solidarity not only connects us to others, it makes us one with all our brothers and sisters, including those on the opposite side of the battlefield. Compassion and solidarity are not easy. They are awakened in us slowly. As we pray for others, our prayers are gradually transformed. 
our hearts are softened and our eyes are opened. Once opened, we can never close our eyes again and we begin to see the world through God's eyes of love. So you can see how this practice works. We are going to pray prayers written by Micah Busey, the minister from Judson Memorial Church that is working to serve people online in the midst of the epicenter of viral disruption, New York City. Each day, Reverend Busey posts a tiny little prayer on something to do with what is going on in the world on that very day. May 8th, tiny prayer for those who are feeling lonely. May you give yourself ample time to discover new ways to hold yourself, new ways to appreciate what good company you are for yourself, new ways to reshape monotony into moments of quiet, affectionate self-reflection. And when those ways do fail, and they do sometimes, may you have the self-assurance to reach out to another, someone who will probably say, thanks for reaching out. I was getting a little lonely. Amen. May 13th, tiny prayer for those who are tired of looking at screens. May you remember that just as with life outside your home, when your body, brain, and eyes are weary, you can take a break from the glare, the stress, the relentless push to be connected, and you can say, no thank you to invitations. You can limit a typically hour-long meeting to 30 minutes. You can be honest with yourself and with another about the fact that having tools to communicate can simultaneously be mightily amazing and mightily tiresome, and you can power down, reschedule, and pick it all up another day. Amen. April 24th, Tiny Prayer for Elders. May you feel enveloped in love, care, and respect, even if you cannot visit with your friends and family, even if the technology connecting so many of us feels alien and annoying, and even if you fear that your winter years will be spent in deepening isolation, may you deeply know how much we miss hugging you. Amen. <laughs> Last week, I spoke briefly at my first ever Zoom memorial service. Some 175 people gathered virtually to celebrate and reflect on a lovely woman, Jane Elizabeth Somerville from over Mansfield Way. Her family had asked for my assistance in her palliative care some time ago, and she died on April 14th. But as you know, we are not able at this time to gather in larger groups so a regular funeral was not possible. 
But Jane's family gathered us all together through the magic of technology. And you know, for all the newness and the strangeness of the format, the important matters were still the same. We still cried, we still laughed, we still shared, we still loved, and in remembering and celebrating and honoring one person's life whom we all knew, we were drawn together into a community of affection. And somehow, when the gathering was all over, we did not wish to part company. We were all somehow united in our sense of loss for the lovely Jane and more tender-hearted towards one another. The important things in life are never diminished. It is only the packaging around them that changes. Oh, and everyone had decided to have crackers and cheese and a glass of Chardonnay during the gathering, Jane's favorites. I made myself an egg salad sandwich, not at all like the church ladies make, but not bad in a pinch. There were familiar hymns in the service, Praise My Soul, the King of Heaven, Amazing Grace, and that most beautiful and very familiar reading from Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 to 8, that was made famous in the 60s by a folk rock group, The Birds. But it was written by Pete Seeger, the prolific American songwriter and a man committed to peace and many social justice issues concerning the environment and the uplifting of those who were marginalized and perceived as powerless. A man who walked the talk, as they say, Seeger donated part of his royalties from this song to the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions an Israeli peace and human rights organization dedicated to ending the occupation of the Palestinian territories and achieving a just peace between Israelis and Palestinians that works through nonviolent direct action. That was Jesus's method, nonviolent direct action. Well, except for the one or two times he lost his temper in frustration. But interestingly, though most of Seeger's songs were protest songs concerning current events, Turn, 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 his most popular song, was written in anger and irritation. His publisher had complained that his protest songs were kind of hard to market on the radio, and they requested something a little bit more mainstream. So he pulled out of his pocket a bit of scripture he had been carrying around, combined his deep faith with his annoyance, and the popular song emerged 15 minutes later. A unique song, really. All but six words of the lyrics come from our wisdom tradition, or in the Hebraic literature, what is called the writings, originating, it is thought, between 450 or 200 BC. God's ways are always a mystery. Irritation can sometimes result in a wonderful offering to the world. There is always going on in the background a divine longing for peace, fullness of life for everyone, and a desire for renewal and rebirth out of what we have discarded.
the season turn, turn, turn And a time to every purpose under heaven A time to be born, a time to die A time to plant, a time to reap A time to kill, a time to heal A time to laugh, a time to Everything turn, turn, turn. There is a season turn, 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 and a time for every purpose under heaven. A time to build up, a time to break down, a time to dance, a time to mourn, a time to cast away stones. strangest thought a week or so ago from a number of different sources inside the church. So that would mean people who would be associated with the call of Christians, and it surprised me. The thought was expressed that the COVID-19 virus came from the devil. The assumption behind that thought would be that the coronavirus and all the havoc it has caused is evil in some way, or has caused evil in some fashion. This is utterly perplexing to me. Because the Christian story does not bear this thinking out, nor do the scriptures, nor does the long convoluted history of the Hebrew people from which our faith descends, nor does Jesus' death by crucifixion, 
nor the whole emergence of the Christian faith and its development all these years. For who is to say in this dualistic thinking, which we are trying to move past, what is good and what is evil but God? And we are not God. So how can we declare this as truth? How can we declare that the worldwide disruption caused by the coronavirus is a bad thing? For might it yet be a darkness that comes before the light of the new dawn in our history as humans? There are many outside our tidy church walls who would see that there is a vast shift in this world towards a more tender and caring community, yes, even in the midst of death and illness. And is this not what Jesus and so many other spiritual leaders have tried to bring about? It is true that there has been much sorrow, death, grief, and confusion. It is true that there has been a loss of income for many and financial hardship for many more. It is true that there has been loneliness in this period of isolation, especially for the elderly and those in care homes. It has been emotionally trying. No one would doubt that. For young people denied the social gatherings that are so much needed for their mental wellness, the elderly people who need company of visitors, for children who flourish when they are free to run and leap and play in public spaces, the loss of movement and social interaction has been devastating. 310,573 deaths worldwide as of May 16th. But we are situated not just in the world, but in our biblical landscape and in the very real place we hold at the foot of the cross. In the biblical landscape, do you remember that when the great prophet Isaiah had his epiphany with God, that beside the great light and sound show that showed up, there was devastating news for the young prophet? Chapter 6, Book of Isaiah In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say this to the people. Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the mind of this people dull. Stop up their ears and shut their eyes so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, 
until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is utterly desolate, until the Lord sends everyone away, and vast is the emptiness in the midst of the land. Even if a tenth part remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains standing when it is felled. The holy seed is in the stump. Isaiah called the people back to God. They didn't listen. They decided to play politics with Egypt and the Assyrians, who in the end enslaved them. Then the Babylonians came and burned their precious temple to the ground where they were so sure that God lived. And now where was God to be found? The temple is a pile of rubble. The Holy of Holies is no more. Where is God to be found? Then they are dragged off to Babylon as prisoners, the nobles, the priests, the prophets, everything they had known to be of value, burned to the ground and enslaved. What do they find in Babylon? Sorrow, devastation, humility, and a new theology, a new way of seeing God, not ensconced in a very fancy building, but in their homes, in their families, in their relationships with one another. Ah, and then come the fierce Persians. More devastation? No. Surprise, surprise, the Persians send the remnant of Israel home and with money to rebuild their temple. The money for renewal does not come from the Jewish people to rethink and rebuild their religious world. It comes from the Persians, who were Zoroastrians. The whole of the biblical text is full of surprises. Is God here? No, over there. Surely God is there. No, over here. Does God show up at the crucifixion of the local carpenter turned prophet? Is God in the blood and mess and dying and deception and cruelty and despair? Yes. And for those who hold steady and do not run away, something new emerges from that dying that to this very day we still do not understand how to harness. The coronavirus, the physical distancing, the deaths, the disruption, it is all difficult to bear. But who is to say that there is not yet some great work that is being brought about that we cannot see? Avaz, an online group that works to bring about justice, writes this. In the face of a vicious pandemic, when it would have been so easy for fear and selfishness to rule, we have found our shared humanity again. But there's a danger that as we beat this pandemic, the tenderness of this moment will fade too. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and unity that millions have felt amid this horrific crisis is a fragile thing and needs to be defended. 
Here are a few examples from millions that remind us of who we really are when it matters most and that we really are capable of meeting the biggest threats we face together. After decades of fighting each other, rival gangs in Cape Town have agreed to an unprecedented truce and are now working together to bring food to struggling households in their communities. In Bangalore, India, one little restaurant called Desi Masala is feeding more than 10,000 vulnerable people every day, and they aren't the only ones. Thousands of volunteers everywhere are helping to cook fresh, healthy food for frontline workers and those in need. Never before, scientists say, have they seen such a collaboration across the globe. World leaders have pledged 7.4 billion pounds to help and ensure any vaccine developed is also distributed to poor countries. At the end of April, more than 200 brave doctors from Cuba got on a plane to South Africa to help fight the coronavirus. They're part of a global army of medical professionals that are leaving their families behind to help countries in need. People in Naples, Italy, have been leaving solidarity baskets for those who are struggling. The note reads, put in if you can, take out if you can't. And it's not just Naples. Across the planet, citizens are helping out their neighbors from buying groceries to cooking meals for those in need. Setting an example for countries everywhere, Portugal has given all refugees and migrants with pending applications full citizenship during the crisis, granting them access to free health care, welfare benefits, bank accounts, and rental contracts. Jesus and his ethics are not confined within the walls of our church buildings, nor are they only located in the biblical text, nor were they ever meant to be. Evidence of the Spirit of Christ, which is the Messianic Spirit, the Spirit of divine leadership, can be found in many, many places. And we are seeing it burst forth at this time of devastation all around the world, not just in one country, not just with one faith, not just within one political party, but independent of all these divisions. And this is cause for celebration right in the midst of our own particular challenges. Humans have done terrible things. Our cruelty cannot be dismissed easily. Our disregard for the great natural gifts of this earth, our avarice, our greed to take more than our share. How is this forgivable? And yet, there is always a place for redemption because the mercy of God has no limits and we are never outside the circle of divine affection as Jesus knew so well. Isaiah called out, here I am, with no idea how he would do the seemingly impossible work he was called to do. 
and we call out, here we stand, with no idea how to do the work that we are called to do. Only knowing that we are to stand and not turn away, and with eyes tutored in the way of Jesus, know that the faithfulness of God will never fail us. We are broken. The world is broken. But we and the world can be redeemed. Traveling along the road of sorrow That runs deep within my veins Back before I lay my head down in this land War in spirits ruled, tempers were untamed The fighter in me leaves no quarter The cuts no slack, it leaves death behind But this life will slash and burn It has seared me to the bone Left me trapped behind enemy lines Brain carved lies where every gesture is a threat and every comment is a fight, and I just grab and grasp all around me dies. But for all I've done, it's not deserving for all the destruction that has been. I can't let go of this ball of stand. And there must be something left to be redeemed I never offer grace or mercy I cut my foes down to the quick Behind my back a graveyard Vengeance, foul landscape, blood runs flick Well, I'm not the only one who stands here low and lost We are men and women through all time Anger and resentment, war after war Ever since you stepped out of the grind For all we've done can't be undone Or at least we don't know how But here we stand with strength and life and lust and will It's true there's little that's deserving Much destruction there has been But I can't let go of this fall
with various businesses starting up again in our province this weekend, you may be wondering when the churches will be opening. We have been closed for nine long weeks. We are taking our lead from our Western Ontario Waterways region and their recommendations will be discussed at both council meetings June 16th for Trinity and 17th for Primrose. Bruce and I will be taking three weeks off beginning next Friday morning, but don't worry, Megan will keep you up to date with things each week through our email correspondence. Anne McAlpine and Gail Brown, your clerks of session, will be on hand, as will the care leaders and council members, as well as Leanne, Jill, and Norma for emergencies. I will leave you a curated list of worship options while we are away, and of course you'll have a dozen or so podcasts you can revisit as well. You may know from our Friday email that Loretta Foster died on Friday morning. Alice Jones was with her as she passed peacefully, as was her wish. We will see in the weeks ahead how we may celebrate Loretta's life. Please to hold Loretta's son Charlie and his wife Rachel in your prayers. We will miss Loretta. You know, when we die, we will be missed also, and that is as it should be. Happy 60th birthday to Ed Krusen. That was a wonderful parade your daughter Jennifer organized for you on Saturday. And happy 70th anniversary to Jim and Betty Foster. I'm going to let Micah Busi close with two of his sweet little prayers. And Bruce is going to take us home with one of his favorite, very traditional hymns. May 7th, Tiny Prayer for those in places that are reopening. May you be enveloped in safety. And when you know in your heart that your leaders and fellow citizens aren't aiding in that, may you have the strength and means to envelop yourself in safety, finding ways to steer clear of crowds, to model mask wearing, and to spread wisdom. May 5th, tiny prayer for those who don't want things to return to normal. May you continue to connect to the growing number of people who are responding to this tragic moment by reimagining, organizing, activism, and mutual aid, refusing to allow the status quo to sweep back in too quickly and dangerously as we find new ways to care for communal need, hear the call of a bigger picture than individual wants, and learn to be something far more thoughtfully dynamic than normal. Amen. When my way groweth drear, precious Lord linger near. When my light, it's almost gone. Hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand, lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me on. 
precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, and I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. When my work is all done and my race here is run, let me see by the light thou hast shone that fair city so bright where the lantern is the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me on. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I am weak, I am tired, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Take my hand. Precious Lord, take my hand, precious Lord, take my hand and lead me home.